How are you doing? Good. Well, it's good to see you this morning. Hope you had a great uh, Thanksgiving. I know some of you maybe weren't here last Sunday, but we had an exciting Sunday here last week as we introduced a journey that we're heading on together as a church family uh, called the 30 for 30 journey. And there's a, a TV out in the lobby that you can view some of those plans on and even some printed ones. And there'll be more info coming out this week just via email and other, other things like that. So if you haven't been getting uh, any of those emails and you'd like to, uh, be sure to mark that on your Connect card this morning. We'd love to be able to, to get that info to you and add you to that list and or to the mailing list. And uh, just keep you up to date with, with where we're heading. And a lot of that will really uh, head into full steam after the new year. Uh, the other thing, one other announcement I forgot to mention this morning is Christmas Eve this year. For the first time in a long time, we're doing a Christmas Eve service. And that service will be at 6 o'clock p.m. from 6 to 7, just an hour long. And uh, there won't be child care that morning every, or that evening. Everybody's just going to be in here together. And uh, the kids who are in Wawasee Kids who are here that morning or that evening, I'm used to saying morning, uh, they're actually going to sing as part of the worship team. They've been singing Christmas songs together. So we're going to have risers up here with all the kids. And I hope that you would make that part of your family tradition. We're going to keep doing this going forward, uh, 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve each year, uh, just an hour-long service, and we'll have some some Christmas goodies and uh, hot chocolate, all that good stuff over in the fellowship hall before and after the service. And we'd just love for you to come and enjoy that evening together with your family. And we'll still be done early enough that you can still go and uh, do some things with your family together if you'd like as well afterwards. So I hope to see you there this year. And reminder that this year, Sunday morning is Christmas then. And we're not going to have a worship service on Christmas Day. We're going to allow you to spend that with your family. And so we're doing that together on Christmas Eve this year. Sound good? All right. Well, this morning, we're going to start just a short series through the gospel. First couple chapters of the gospel of Luke, where uh, Luke gives the account of Jesus' first coming of his birth. And really, this account starts about 15 months before Jesus is born, we're going to see this morning, with the account of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And most of you, many of you are going to know some of these stories. You've heard them. We, I haven't talked through these passages in a while, but uh, you're, they're going to be familiar to you. They're going to be recognizable. And so it's not maybe going to be anything brand new to you today. But what I want you to do this morning, if you notice on your insert, on the very front, every Sunday these next few weeks, there's going to be a big empty box there that says, uh, gifts that I see God give in this text. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to teach through the whole passage, and we're going to look at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth today. And as I'm teaching, just jot down every time you see one of God's gifts to them in that box, whatever it is. Maybe it's a, a gift of provision. Maybe it's a gift of, uh, uh, of him uh, holding back uh, something from them. Uh, whatever it is, just jot those down as we go. And then what I'm going to do is after we, we teach through the passage, we'll do this each Sunday, then I'm going to give some observations of some gifts that I see in the text that God gave. Does that sound good? So uh, let me pray, and then we're going to dive into the text together. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. So if you want to turn there, you can, but let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you for Jesus. As we sang already this morning, Jesus, you were born that we might have life. That's why you came, uh, to not just to be born, but to give your life in place of ours on the cross. And we praise you for that this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we look at the text today and over the coming weeks, text that's familiar to us, especially this time of year, 
uh, Holy Spirit, that you teach our hearts and show us things maybe we haven't seen before. And uh, show us your goodness to us in the text and how generous you are to us in the text. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. He uh, would discourage so many, especially this time of year. And so I pray instead, Holy Spirit, would you encourage us by your word? And uh, might we leave changed and more grateful for your goodness. We love you and uh, pray all this through Jesus. Amen. So Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 5. But before we do, when you're jotting down gifts, I want you to notice two things. Almost all of God's gifts fall into one of two categories. Well, not almost. All of them fall into one or two categories. One of two, and sometimes both. The first category is grace. The first category is grace. Uh, Many of God's gifts fall into the category of grace. And what is grace? Well, grace is when I get what I don't deserve. When I get something I don't deserve. So if, if we're thinking of it in terms of, of salvation, I don't deserve salvation from God. And, and I get that because of Jesus. That's his grace to me. It's undeserved favor, undeserved merit. It's, it's when I get what I don't deserve. So God's gifts fall into that category sometimes where I get what I don't deserve. Other times his gifts fall into the category of mercy, which is really the flip side of the same coin as grace. And mercy is when I don't get, when I do not get what I do deserve. So in terms of salvation, again, what do I deserve? I deserve hell. I I deserve to, to pay the penalty for my sin for eternity before a holy and righteous and perfect God. But because of God's mercy, I don't get what I do deserve. And because of his grace, I do get what I don't deserve. So, so as we look at these things, you're going to see that his gifts fall into one of those two categories. And usually, it's a little bit of both. When well, Luke's gospel, Luke uh, begins by giving an overview of why he's writing and how he wrote. Luke was a doctor. He was a very uh, detail-oriented guy. And so he went to all kinds of eyewitnesses, he says in those first four verses, uh, to write an orderly account of what happened. He was, he was an investigator. He wanted to make sure he got it right, this account of Jesus' life. And so in doing so, Luke decided it was good for us to start not just with Jesus' birth, but to back the card up about 15 months before Jesus' birth and start uh, with a couple of people named Zechariah and Elizabeth. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Luke writes, in the days of Herod, king of of Judea, uh, so in the days of Herod, when he was the king of Judea, I think I said that different three times, didn't I? But you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) When Herod was king, you know what, Luke is this detailed guy, he starts out by giving us a date. He starts out with a date. Now, this, this Herod here is Herod the Great. Herod was, it was actually a title that was given uh, to different kings in this, and uh, rulers in this area. Literally, it means son of a hero. And great, in terms of Herod the Great, likely referred to the fact that he was just the oldest of his father's kids. And Herod the Great was um, a ruthless man, uh, pretty wicked, but he was an incredible builder. He was an incredible 
architect in the sense of all the things that he built, uh, many of them shaped the entire scene of the Gospels because of his industriousness, of God using him. And, and many of his works uh, that he built, uh, the ruins stand to this day. And there's like, there's, it's unbelievable some of the stuff he did, if you ever get a chance to, to read about him. The ways that he overcame uh, natural obstacles and political obstacles and financial obstacles. Whatever it was, he figured out a way to make it happen. And so he was an incredibly smart, uh, God, God gave him intelligence for sure in terms of, of ruling, but he was also very wicked You'll see later in the text. But Luke gives us a clue that this is while he was still alive, while he was still the ruler. Well, it says that there was a priest named Zechariah, and uh, he was of the division of Abijah. Uh, Zechariah is a priest. He's a Jewish minister, and uh, likely you might think of Zechariah as a pastor of a small church in a small town. Because as a priest, he was from a rural area, and he would have overseen uh, a small synagogue in the town that he was from. And he would have done it for many years. We're going to see that he was advanced in years, that he was, he was getting up there. He was, he'd probably been at this for 40, 50, maybe 60 years at this point in terms of ministry. And think of just a, a pastor of a small church in a rural area. That's Zechariah, and that's his wife, Elizabeth. Now, it says he was of the division of Abijah. Uh, in, in this time in Israel, uh, there were about 20,000 to 24,000 priests in, in these synagogues. And uh, what they would do is they, a thousand of them at a time would come and serve in Jerusalem at the temple. And they would have two weeks out of the year, every year, that they would come and serve. And so this is one of the two weeks out of the year that Zechariah's division of priests, of these 24 divisions, uh, would be in Jerusalem to serve. So he had to take a week away from home and go serve at the temple. That's what's happening here. That's what Luke is telling us. He's of that division. So if we were to go back on records, we could probably find out what time of year this was if there were records kept of when Abijah and their division of the priests were there in Jerusalem. And then during the major festivals, all of them would come. Uh, But he had a wife, Luke writes, from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Well, Zechariah, as a priest, uh, it was required that he marry a, a virgin who, who loved the Lord. And Zechariah hit the jackpot because not only did he get that, but his wife was also a descendant of Aaron, of, of Moses' brother Aaron. So she, she came from a priestly line as well. This is a ministry family. They've been at it for years together and generations even together. I think about that for my, my son, Charlie, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor. He has a, a, a grandpa and a grandma who are missionaries in, uh, in Argentina. He, he's got this legacy of, of ministry, of serving the Lord. His, his grandpa's an elder. Um, that's Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're a ministry family. Well, look at verse 6. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, if you ever have something written about you in the Bible, that's what you want it to be, right? They were righteous and blameless. Now, does that mean they were perfect? No, it just means they were known for for being people who loved the Lord and served him faithfully. But look at chapter, or verse 7. But, Luke writes, they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. These two verses just really reveal two key details about this couple as we head into the story. 
that we got to keep in mind as we set this up. Number one, I said they're righteous, they're blameless, they're known for their faithfulness. But two, they had no children. I told you they were advanced in years. Luke says it right there. Uh, They may have been in ministry together for 40, 50, 60 years at this point, serving in this small synagogue, this small rural church, and they had no children. You might think, well, okay, so they didn't have children. Yeah, but in this day, this was, um, see, Luke says they're righteous, but they had no children. They're blameless, but they had no children. The, the, The perspective of people in that day is if you didn't have children, if you were barren, that's probably God's judgment on you. You must have done something. How can they be blameless and have no kids? That's why Luke makes a point to point that out, that they were blameless and they were righteous. Um, They were by no means alone in their desire to have children either, as well as in their inability to do so. The Bible records stories of, of many couples who desperately wanted to be parents. And some remained faithful to God through the pain, like Elizabeth did. Others used other methods to obtain children, uh, methods that were sinful that led only to sorrow, like uh, Sarah giving her husband Abraham her maidservant and said, Ah, sleep with her. Mm, Bad plan. Bad plan, right? Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Rachel, Manoah and his wife and judges, Elkanah and Hannah, in First Samuel. And so as we keep going, remember they're faithful and righteous. They had no children and they're advanced in age. Now, Luke gets to the story. He says, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, it's his week, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. He was chosen by lot. What does that mean? Well, first, let's just back up of what he's doing. See, one of the, one of the duties of the priests who are there serving at the temple each week is twice a day they would enter into the temple and burn incense before the Lord. And while they're burning incense, everyone else, all the other servants, all the other priests, and even some of the people would be out in the courtyard of the temple. And when they saw the smoke from the incense go up out of the, the temple, uh, then they would pray because it was symbolic of their prayers rising to the Lord. And so uh, a priest was chosen by lot to go in and burn incense uh, once early in the day and once later in the day. And when they would cast lots, it's, it's kind of like uh, throwing dice in a sense. And so out of these thousand guys who are there for the week serving, uh, they get together, they, they get their Yahtzee cup out, put the die in and throw it. And all the ones, you're out. <laughs> You know, and they, they go down, they cast lots until they narrow it down to one person to go in and serve. And that one person, after they served, uh, they would never do that again. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And Zechariah had his number chosen this day. Now, remember, he's advanced in years. He's been doing this for decades, likely, coming to the temple twice a year. And, and twice a day, every day that he's there, he throws dice, yeah, nope. Nope. Shakes it up, throws it. Nope, not me. Nope, not me. Every day for decades that he was there. He probably had no expectation that this was his day. And yet God chose him, as was their custom, according to Lot. And and he got to go in and burn incense that day in the temple of the Lord. Now let me show you. Here's a picture of the temple from the ESV study Bible. And you can see the little guy on the top of the steps and uh, how, how tiny he was. And Herod, I told you, he was a great builder. 
when he beautified the temple, he, Herod is the one who, who rebuilt this and he made it gorgeous, covered with gold outside and inside. And it was huge. And he would go in and, and you'd go into the holy place. That's where Zechariah would have been. You see the little guy in blue in the middle up there? And there's a small altar of incense there in front of him. That's where Zechariah would have went to burn incense. And behind, the, behind that altar was a curtain. And behind that was the holy of holies. And only the high priest would go there but once a year to offer sacrifice. So Zechariah, think of him as that little blue guy in there. And let me give you an idea, too, of how big the Temple Mount was. So you can see the temple up in the top, number one. It's kind of hard. I could have zoomed in here a little better. Um, but I laid a football field next to it to show you how big this whole area is. And the Temple Mount in the courtyard, that's where all these people would have been. We're going to see praying in a moment. And just again, to give you an idea of how big this is, here's Soldier Field laid alongside of it. So next time you drive through Chicago, imagine uh, about four to five times the size of Soldier Field and you have the Temple Mount where Zechariah is here in the temple burning incense. He was chosen on this day. He was instantly at the apex of his personal history. And he would be sure to remember every detail. And when he got home to tell his wife, Elizabeth, uh, he, he, he would recall everything to her. And he wouldn't be able to wait to be able to tell her what, that he got to do it and what it was like in there. And he would never get to do it again. Well, at verse 10, and the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. When the priest would go in to offer incense, the rest of the priests and other worshipers, I told you, they'd be out in that courtyard area praying. And when they saw the smoke rise, then they would pray fervently to the Lord. Uh, they, they would pray especially for God to send a Savior, to send the Messiah, to redeem them, to rescue them, and uh, to establish his kingdom. You know, this reminds me, as he's serving in the temple, how important it is for us to pray as a church, isn't it? All these people are praying while the priest goes in to serve and everybody else is outside, the whole congregation, and they're just praying. Um, you know, we're heading on this 30 for 30 journey. We're going to see what the Lord might have us do uh, uh, to try to ensure that the faith of 30 years ago endures for at least another 30 years as it relates to our facility and all the gifts and sacrifice given. And so let's be praying. You're going to hear about opportunities to pray together as a church after the new year and uh, uh, daily prayer, uh, some prayer gatherings. And I would encourage you, let's be praying, right? Let's thank God for the last 30 years and trust him for the next 30 and ask him to do something that only he can do. Well, while they're praying, so Zechariah is inside. Let's get back to the story. Look at verse 11. Has this ever happened to you when you're praying? And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So he's standing there lighting the incense. All of a sudden, angel. (laughs) What do you picture? What would you do? I'd freak out just a little bit. Maybe maybe a lot bit. (laughs) Look at verse 12. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. And, you know, we're going to find out in a moment that this angel is Gabriel. And every time Gabriel shows up in the text, people are afraid of him. Daniel's terrified of him. Mary, next week, is afraid of him. And yet, I don't know about you, but when growing up, you know, I'd see these pictures and these paintings of angels. Here's one that Leonardo da Vinci painted of Gabriel. 
Tell me, uh, if you saw that person, if they knocked on your door as you were praying and they were dressed like this, would you be afraid? You'd be concerned, like, that's strange. But I don't know if you'd be afraid. Now, so this tells me this is probably not what Gabriel looks like. <laughs> he probably doesn't look kind of effeminate and, and, and very prim and proper. I think he probably looked more like Dog the Bounty Hunter. Now, if, if Dog knocked on your door, would you be afraid? Listen, listen. Gabriel, every time he appears, it's with a view towards the coming of Jesus Christ. And Gabriel is considered to be an archangel, according to tradition. And in other words, he is powerful. He is strong. When you see him, you're not going to be like, hey, Gabriel, Gabe, what's up? High five. You're going to be like, oh, hi. You're going to be afraid. He, He is frightening because he is powerful. And he's a messenger of the Lord. Well, that was Zechariah's experience. He was troubled when he saw him and great fear fell upon him. But the angel, Gabriel, said to him, and he would say this to you too, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Don't be afraid. For your prayer, he says, has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You will call his name John. Maybe if you're keeping track of gifts, that's one you'd write down. Your prayer has been heard. See, Zechariah, I told you the people would have been praying outside about the Messiah coming, but um, it's, it's likely that they also offered individual prayers together. And Zechariah, even as he goes in, we get a clue into who this man is and he and his wife that uh, for years he's been praying. And I wonder, the, the, the angel says, Gabriel says, your prayer has been heard. Does that mean a prayer for the Messiah to come? And he says, a son will be born to you. <laughs> what? I'm going to be a dad? Really? He had been praying that maybe for years. Maybe he had given up praying it years ago because of his advanced age. He said, your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. John will be his name. Do you know what John means? John means that the Lord is gracious. So every time they would call out to John, they would remember his gift. They would remember their undeserved gift of his grace. And you will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great, Gabriel says before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So as we we get into the story, you find out that this, this son of Zechariah and Elizabeth is John the Baptist, who's sent in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of children to their fathers and fathers to their children and to turn hearts to the Lord and prepare the way for the Messiah. John the Baptist is going to be their son. And he's got a huge piece to play. Elijah, he's got a huge piece to play in the story. He'll be great before the Lord. Verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Not only a son, but a great son in the eyes of the Lord. Now, if you've been praying about something, maybe you've been praying for a son, and an angel shows up to you and uh, says, hey, your prayer's been heard. What would your response be? 
Would you be excited? Look what Zechariah does. Zechariah says to the angel, well, how am I going to know this? How will I know this? For I'm an old man. All of a sudden, the reality of his world started to creep in and maybe cause some doubt in his heart from trusting the Lord. I'm old, and my wife is advanced in years. See, he's, guys, he's really wise. He doesn't say his wife is old. He says she's advanced in years. But he doubts, doesn't he? Like many before him, like Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Gideon and Zechariah, Thomas, the disciples. So many doubt the Lord. But he's still gracious. So Zechariah says, well, how do I know this is going to happen? And the angel says, I I just wonder if there was a pause there. You know, what's Gabriel's personality like? Did he go, how do you know this is going to happen? Well, look, look, how many times have you seen an angel show up in the midst of your prayer? Because then he goes, "Um, Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent, angel means messenger. Did you know that term angel means messenger? If, if you speak the truth of God's word, you're an angel. Uh, you're a messenger. I, I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, uh, Zechariah faces some discipline because of his doubt. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Okay, let's do the math. He just said your, your wife is going to have a son. Uh, how long does that normally take? About nine months. So until the day uh, these things take place, Zechariah is going to be silent and unable to speak. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time in about nine months. Well, uh, not only was he unable to speak, but, but this term can actually mean not just mute, but deaf. It's kind of all-encompassing. So a right translation here is probably that he was, would not be able to speak, and he would not be able to hear later when it says that he's mute. Imagine that. So the last thing that Zechariah is going to hear for nine months is the angel Gabriel telling him, You're going to be quiet in silence. You can't speak. You can't hear until these things happen because of your doubting. Well, in the meantime, uh, Luke kind of takes us back to the story of what's going on surrounding the temple. All the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. It's been a while. Is he ever coming back? Maybe uh, you've been here and I've been preaching and going for a while and you're like, it's been a while. Is he ever going to finish? Maybe you're back with the kids and the the youth wing. Like, is this, are we ever going to get out of here? That's the people they're waiting for. Because you know, when they prayed, they didn't just stand there and pray. They would have prayed with their arms up in the air. They're probably getting tired. Where, Where is this guy? What's going on? And when he came out, just like the angel said, he was unable to speak to them. See, because what would happen is the priest, after he burned incense, he would come out and he would pronounce a blessing over all the people who were praying. So Zechariah comes out to pronounce the blessing. Everybody gets quiet. Nothing. I, you guys are laughing, but I, I agree. Like, this is one of the stories that 
I find really humorous in scripture. Like if this is on DVD, when we get there and we can pull this up and watch it on Netflix in heaven, I want to watch this scene because I just think it'd be hilarious. Zechariah comes out. He can't talk. All the people are waiting. It's really quiet. And, and there's this murmur that starts, right? Like, why, is he going to give the blessing? What's wrong with this guy? I don't think he can talk. What happened? He could talk before. I talked to him yesterday. What's going on? And then they realize after a while, Luke says, he saw a vision. He had seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. So they start playing charades on the Temple Mount. Zechariah is trying to explain everything that happened. And there was an angel and he appeared to me. And, you know, it's kind of funny, isn't it? To think about what that would have been like. But at the same time, this is a key point in salvation history and in the history of time. Because this is God speaking for the first time in over 400 years. He had been silent through any prophets for 400 years up until this point. And now, John has come. Elijah's coming, which means the Messiah is soon to come. Well, verse 23, Luke kind of wraps up this part of the story. He says, when his time of service was ended, he, Zechariah, went to his home. I wonder what it was like when he got home and he tried to explain it all to Elizabeth. Her prayer was answered. Her husband just had to be quiet and listen to her. But then maybe his prayer was answered because he couldn't hear anything she was saying. (laughs) Of course, you know, I'm just joking, right? (laughs) That was a curse on him. And when, when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, it says, look, his wife Elizabeth conceived. Just what Gabriel said happened. God kept his promise. And for five months, she kept herself hidden. I wonder why. You ever wonder why? I kind of wonder if after so many years of praying for a child, maybe times of being pregnant and losing a child and telling everybody and being so excited and we're finally pregnant, here we go. Only weeks later to find out, no, we, we lost it. To where at some point she quit telling people I think that's probably why she was quiet for so long. Because look, here's what she said. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Do you know what reproach means? Reproach can mean disgrace. It can mean, um, it can mean sorrow. This word in the Greek, it can mean fault. I wonder if Elizabeth thought somehow this was all her fault that she couldn't have children. That somehow there was something wrong with her. And she couldn't, that she was broken. I bet she might have. Well, we're going to fast forward to verse 57. And in the meantime, what we're going to find out, we'll see it next Sunday, is Gabriel shows up a few months later to Mary. And announces the coming of Jesus. That she's going to give birth to Jesus, to the Messiah. And Mary is a relative of Elizabeth. And we find out that Mary, after she hears this, she, she goes to stay with Elizabeth. Which was probably a great help to her and Zechariah. Because they couldn't communicate with one another, right? So uh, uh, 
Mary was there and she was able to help. And so I think Mary, it says, was there for about three months. And I'm guessing that she may have been there all the way through the birth of John the Baptist. And, and if, if, if it wasn't Mary even who delivered John the baptizer at his birth, that, that'd be curious, wouldn't it? Look at verse 57. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. Hey, it's just like God promised. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. Circumcision is just a physical sign of a spiritual reality of being part of God's covenant people. And it would have happened on the eighth day after birth for for sons. But they were going to name him after his dad, Zechariah. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they looked at each other and like, what? Are you going to call him John? No, no relative. None of your relatives is called by this name. John? Really? And they made signs to his father then inquiring what he wanted him to be called. Elizabeth's crazy. And they made signs to him inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And, and he asked for a writing tablet, which would have been like a piece of stone with wax melted on it. And he'd scribble into it. And then they'd put it over the fire, melt it, wipe it out, and then scribble into it. That's probably how he had been communicating for nine plus months. And he asked for a writing tablet. He wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, oh, this is strange. And immediately, though, look, this time he didn't doubt He believed his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Another promise fulfilled. Gabriel said, you're not going to be able to speak until these things happen. And what happened right after they happened? And he was named John. God kept his promise. He could speak. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. You know how things spread in a small town, right? Everybody knew about it, and everybody was talking about this for years. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? Who is this child? For the hand of the Lord was with him. That's what made John great, by the way. The hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, then, look at this. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. So so you got the scene, right? Zechariah, small town pastor uh, in this small synagogue, small church, goes and finally, after years of obscurity, he gets chosen to go in and serve in the temple. And while he's there, it's not just the once in a lifetime thing that he gets to show up, but a once in history thing, Gabriel shows up and speaks to him and says, your prayer's been answered. You're going to have a son. And he doubts and he can't speak. But now after uh, nine months of silence, all of this has happened and the, the Holy Spirit allows him to speak again and the Holy Spirit fills him. And now Zechariah gets to be a prophet. And he prophesies. Look what he says. This is a great passage of scripture. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That phrase, horn of salvation, does that sound strange to you? Well, how about this? If you were going to be, I mean, I don't know about you, but I would never want to be charged by a bull. But if I was, would you rather be charged by one with horns or without horns? Without, right? The horn is a symbol of power and of strength, right? That's the idea, the the horn of salvation. He's strong to save. 
He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by, by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. This is another way of him just saying, uh, just like he promised, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, he prophesies over his son then, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. See, John isn't the Savior. He's going to preach about the Savior. And, And all of this salvation is because of, verse 78, this tender mercy of our God. The tender mercy. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Verse 80 says that the child grew up and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So there's the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. All happening uh, 15 months to 6 months or so before Jesus is born. Did you find any gifts in there of God as we talked through the story? Gifts of his grace, gifts of his mercy? Let me share a few with you that I see in the text. Um, one of the first ones I see in this passage is God giving uh, to them, especially to Zechariah, he gave him opportunity after obscurity. Opportunity after obscurity, or I wrote in your notes, uh, another way to think of it is blessing after the boring. (laughs) Think about it. Zechariah, for decades served in a small rural town, a small rural synagogue with a handful of people. He was the, the, the priest there, the, essentially the pastor there. And for years, he was just faithful with his wife, just doing what, what God would have him do, not wavering from it. And the Bible even says, God, the Holy Spirit uh, inspired Luke to write that this man was blameless and righteous before the Lord. He was a good pastor. He was a good man. And twice a year, a few times a year, actually, with some of the festivals, he'd go to Jerusalem to serve around the temple and in the temple. Year after year, week after week, day after day, month after month, he just served in obscurity. You think it ever got boring? You ever go through your routine in life and it's just like, this is just boring. It's just the same old, same old, same old. Time to make the donuts. Here we go. Right? I mean, just... Just slow and steady. God seemed to honor that in Zechariah's life, didn't he? For decades, he served in obscurity, but he was faithful. And then one day, when Zechariah was least expecting it, God gave him opportunity, didn't he? He gave him blessing. He gave him the opportunity. He had been throwing dice for years, and finally, his lot was cast. And he gets to go serve. And he made the most of the opportunity, and he goes in, and then his life had been so obscure, so boring up to this point in worldly standards, right? But on this day, sudden opportunity, and now here we are talking about this man who lived in a small rural town in Judea 2,000 years later. God gave him blessing because of his faithfulness. 
Um, an example of this maybe in your own life would be in raising children. Hannah and I are at the very start of it. And it's clear that there are years of routine ahead of us, of routine, mundane obscurity, <laughs> raising Charlie and maybe more kids after him. And there's days, I know for her especially, she stays home with them, where I come home and she's exhausted. And I love the little minion, but I'm ready to be done with him for the day, right? Moms, dads, you ever feel that? And, and just like, is this, man, are they, are they ever going to learn? Is this ever... That, that's, that's life, right? Be faithful in that because you don't know how God might use your faithfulness over time to bless. That's what happened with Zechariah and Elizabeth. This could be applicable to all areas of our life, in your job, in your relationships, in your prayer life. Year after year, they had prayed, and finally, God gave opportunity and blessing. Maybe you had that gift down. Here's another gift that I noted as I looked at this text today in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is that God gave joy after sorrow. He gave joy after sorrow. Did you notice what it had said in the text that every that, that many people would rejoice at the birth of their son? That they would there would be great joy at the birth of their son? I wonder how many years of sorrow they had had leading up to that time. I realize as I teach this passage, this um, there, there's there's women who dread this passage every Christmas, probably in this room because, uh, like Elizabeth, you've prayed and prayed and prayed for a child, and then maybe you've been pregnant and well, not anymore. Hannah and I had uh, that experience uh, two years ago. She was pregnant and had an ectopic pregnancy and had to have emergency surgery. And uh, we lost the, the child and didn't know if she'd ever be able to get pregnant after that. And by God's grace, he gave us Charlie. Um, but maybe he hasn't for you. There's a lot of sorrow in it, isn't there? A lot of shame, a lot of reproach even, of feeling like, What's wrong with me? What did I do? How is this my fault? You need to know that um, the sorrow may last for the night, the psalmist writes in, in Psalm 30, verse 5, his joy comes with the morning. And that he may, he may never choose to give you a child. He may never choose to give us another child. Um, but you can still have his joy. And still pray, still trust, still live faithfully because you never know after years of obscurity when he might bless. And I would tell you too to be reminded that your identity is not in the fact that you can't have a child. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus. Remember, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were blameless and righteous, but they had no child. See, their identity came first. They were blameless and righteous not their activity. Your identity is in Jesus. And I would just say, if, if you would like uh, for us to pray for you, I, I'd be honored to. And I will faithfully. And uh, I'll hang out here after the service and be glad to pray for you if maybe that's your situation. And uh, if not, if you just want to drop me a note, I'd be glad to pray that for you. It's a hard thing. But God does give joy after sorrow.
Amen? And then finally, here's another one that I see, a third one, that God gave honor after dishonor. For Zechariah, he gave honor after dishonor, didn't he? And he did for Elizabeth, too. But with Zechariah, what was Zechariah's dishonor? Well, he got the opportunity. He'd been faithful and blameless for decades. And then the moment God, he's on, this, he's on the clock, he's on the stage, the angel appears, he doubts him. Man, he blew it. He blew the opportunity, right? And what dishonor that might have been for him. And now he can't speak. Now he can't hear. Now he can't communicate. And he's just going to have to sit. And the only the words that are going to ring in his mind for months ahead is the fact that you screwed up. You doubted. But look what God does. Even after his dishonor, he honors him. Because then after the birth of his son, what does he become? A prophet. And God uses him to prophesy. And he records his name in his word for eternity. And Elizabeth, of course, was given honor after dishonor. Uh, Zechariah's dishonor was his own doing. um, And God showed him mercy. Uh, Elizabeth's dishonor was none of her doing. It was just reality. And God showed her grace by giving her a child, didn't he? And took away her reproach. And God gave honor after dishonor. But here's what I want you to see is that all of these gifts are gifts of God's mercy and of his grace. And so as we, as we look at the Christmas story this year, let's look at it through those lens, lenses of, of where is God's generosity? Where is his goodness? Where is his grace? Where is his mercy to these people? Because that's a reminder to me that he, he has not changed. And he shows the same grace and the same mercy and the same generosity towards me. And it causes my heart to be thankful. And when my heart is thankful, I become more like Jesus. I become more generous myself towards other people. I become more gracious and more merciful. So let's keep our eyes on those things and trust our good God who gives. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Then we'll take our offering. We'll sing together. And we'll call it a morning. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thank you for your grace to us through him and uh, your mercy to us as well. Lord, I, I pray for each of us this year as, um, as we often at Christmas will give gifts, will receive gifts. Remind us of your goodness and your generosity and your gifts to us. And might it um, cause us to live lives of faithfulness that we'd be called uh, blameless and righteous like Zechariah and Elizabeth. That when we doubt, we would turn back to trust you and you'd restore us when... Um, Lord, we face sorrow that you would give us joy. Lord, I pray too finally for those who've who've never trusted you, who might hear my voice, uh, that they would turn to you in saving faith and receive the gift of salvation through your son. Father, we love you. We pray all of this through Jesus. We thank you for him. Amen.